Well, let's open up our Bibles over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're continuing our new series, God, Your Family, and You. This is part two. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood. The next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman saw her neighbor hanging the wash outside. That laundry is not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Well, her husband looked on, but he remained silent. Every time her neighbor would hang her wash to dry, the young woman would make the same comments. About one month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice, clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she's learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. The husband said, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. <laughs> you know, folks, sometimes we don't understand that the problem is not with others. Sometimes the problem is with us, right? Now, as we are going into a little deeper into our study on God, your family, and you, today we're talking about foundational truth, okay? Getting the foundation right. I just mentioned a few minutes earlier about going to help Day Spring Baptist Church, uh, Lord willing, as far as helping them with their building. But you know, before they could ever build anything on that property, a foundation had to be set. And the foundation is incredibly important. If you don't have the foundation right, the whole building will eventually have problems. Not only that, it's very possible that the whole building will collapse one day. There is just something about it. It has to be, the foundation has to be right. Well, marriage is like that. And marriage is God's idea. It is between one man and one woman, and it should be a lifelong commitment. Now, you're going to hear the word commitment over and over today because this is a foundational truth. There should also be a spiritual quality to the marriage, not just social and not just emotional. Let me say that again. There should also be a spiritual quality to the marriage, not just social and not just emotional. Here in Genesis chapter 2, scriptures we looked at last week with bear repeating and, and looking at again, it says in verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. All right. Now it's kind of interesting that Eve was not formed out of the dust of the ground. She was taken out of man. And I believe there's great truth in that, okay? She is to be, she was from his side, she was from him, and she is to be by his side in that regard. Jumping down to verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, and this is when he saw her, she shall be called, Whoa, man, okay, or woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed, all right? Now the word cleave, as we saw last time, it means to cling or to stick to. And God expects married people to stick 
together, okay? This is the plan. Now, I know there are things that happen in relationships, and if you're divorced or divorced and remarried or, or whatever. I'm not here today to make you feel bad. I'm just saying this is the, the biblical plan. This is the biblical concept with that, okay? So what I wanted to do, and again, review from last week, we saw that there was a fourfold purpose for marriage, a fourfold purpose according to the scriptures. The first is this, marriage is for intimate companionship between one man and one woman. That's what we have just read about, Adam and Eve together. Secondly, marriage is the only acceptable channel for sexual pleasure according to the Word of God. It does not matter, folks, what the world says on this. According to God, marriage is the only acceptable channel for sexual pleasure. One source said this, and I think it's excellent. The Bible does not change to accommodate the desires of a degenerate culture. And that is true. God is not going to change. He's not going to update his standards. It is up to man to bow the knee to God. It is not up to God to bow the knee to man. It's not going to happen. It doesn't matter what is legal or illegal. What matters is what God has said. That is the standard. Third, marriage is for procreation. Marriage is for procreation. That would be family. And by the way, that, of course, leaves out the whole concept of the gay agenda, homosexuality and lesbianism and so on and so forth. It's for procreation. Now, you might say, well, we're not able to have children. I understand that, and I feel bad for anybody who can't have children. But nevertheless, the ideal and the usual way that it works is it should be within marriage, and then you do have children. And then fourth, marriage is for the training of the future generations for Christ. Marriage is for the training of the future generations for Christ. Now that last truth, that last reason or purpose is completely new in concept for most people. And you know what? Sadly, even Christians, most people do not understand that one of the purposes of marriage Obviously, to have children, that is one, but then to train those children. And listen, training children, raising a family is not an easy thing, but it's something that can be much more effective in most cases when there is a husband and a wife, when there is a mom and a dad. I won't bore you with the statistics, but just go online and Google that and you will see very clearly, okay, now, it can be done. Let me say this. Single parent families or single parents with children, it can be done, but it's that much more difficult for them to do. God's ideal has always been one man, one woman who get married, Christ at the center of that. I'll get to that in just a minute. And then they, with a united front and in harmony, have children and train those children up in the ways of God. That is God's plan. It has never changed, and it will continue to be that way. You see, God wants us folks to have the best. Did you know that? God wants us to enjoy his blessings. God does not give us his truth to discourage us. God gives us his truth so that we can enjoy the blessings of God. Our God is a good God, okay? He's not a, he's not a killjoy. He's the source of joy, according to the scriptures. But to have his blessings and enjoy his blessings he gives us things that we need to follow and some foundational truths that we need to have, listen, 
in place. By the way, that's what a foundation is. Something to have in place to where you can build everything else on top of that, based on that. And so it may surprise you today that what we are talking about, I will relate it to marriage, but what we are talking about is true for anybody, regardless of whether you're married or not. Because these are foundational truths for life, and certainly incredibly important when it comes to marriage and the family. Psalm 127, look at this with me. Psalm 127, in verse 1, it says this, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You look at that, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, okay? God is the one. He needs to be at the center of a marriage. He needs to be at the center of a family. Now, you say, well, you know, our world is is a mess today. And there's all kinds of, you know, there's kids who have no idea who their parents are, who their mom is, who their dad is. They don't even know what a dad is. They don't have any concept of that. There's all kinds of abuse and all kinds of nasty things going on and all the heartache that goes along with that. And you know what? It is a heartache. Listen to this, though. No one is hurt more by that than God. He grieves deeply for every person in pain because their marriage or their home is not right and they're dealing with that difficulty. That's the heart of God. And so he's given us truth to help us not have to go that way and to make things better in our lives. While every marriage will have its problems and challenges, these can be minimized when we do things God's way. Foundational truths for success. Let's look at these, okay? I want you to turn in your Bible over to Titus, New Testament book. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Number one, we need to be saved, okay? We need to be saved. There needs to be salvation, personal salvation of an individual. You see, you can't have a truly Christian home without being a Christian. It just doesn't work. Now, you can have a religious home. And listen, I don't want to give the impression by that, that unless you have a truly Christian home, your children are going to be terrible, because that's not true. I've seen some religious homes where the, the, neither parent is saved. But listen, whether they know it or not, they are basing their marriage and their family on biblical concepts of morality and decency and so forth. And guess what? Whether they know those things are in the Bible or not, they're seeing the benefits of those things. You may say, well, wait a minute, though. They're not God's children. How can they get the benefits of those things? Because truth is truth. That's why. Because God's ways work. That's why. I am so glad that God is so good and generous and gracious that he says, you know what? Even if you don't fully understand that came from me, I'm glad you're doing it the right way because I don't like to see people in pain. Titus 3 verse 3, it says, For we ourselves also were sometimes or at one time foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse or various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But 
After that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, it's not by good works that we go to heaven. We go to heaven by the mercy and the grace of God. Mercy, okay? Mercy is, is not getting something we deserved, okay? In the sense of a negative thing. Grace is getting something wonderful we don't deserve. Both mercy and grace are involved in salvation. You see, we are sinners, folks. We need a savior. We're sinners. Verse three is a portrait of your innermost being. It is. Well, I'm not so bad. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. The very fact someone would say, I'm not so bad, you just fulfilled the word of God where it says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I say, well, I don't like that. Well, that is what the Bible says. But you see, friends, we are wicked. We are sinful. We are selfish. We're all these things. But aren't you glad, glad God loves us? Aren't you glad that by his mercy and grace, he provided a payment for our sin? We are all sinners. We all deserve to spend forever separated from God. The wages of sin is death. We cannot go to heaven because heaven's a perfect place. None of us are perfect, therefore we can't get in. So because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to die on the cross and pay for all the bad things we've done or ever will do wrong. And that includes our thoughts, by the way, bad thoughts. They're all sin. But the good news is Jesus has paid for our sins and came back from the dead. And he says in his word, if you will put your faith, your trust in him, he will save you by his grace. Romans 5.8 puts it this way, but God commended or displayed his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If this was you and me and my wallet represents our sin, we're all sinners you can't go to heaven with even one sin. You have to be sinless. How are you going to be sinless? You can't. We come into the world as sinners. We've blown it already from when we're little kids, okay? Actually, through conception. God says it has to be paid for. We can't get rid of it by our good works, okay? The wages of sin is death. That's what God requires is a death payment. The good news is he sent his son to be our substitute, and he made the payment on our behalf. God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died, came back from the dead. He's paid for all your sin. If you trust in him, that payment is good on your behalf. In other words, what Christ did for you, when you trust Christ, that is good on your behalf. See, you must accept the payment he made for you. You must put your faith in him that he did that for you. And when you do, understanding you can't earn it by good works, understanding you're lost, understanding you need a savior, and Jesus is that savior. When you trust in him, he saves you by his grace. And he saves you, he gives you eternal life. And again, that leads us to this, this truth. Why is this so important to trust Christ the savior? Well, because first, eternal life comes by salvation. You have to have eternal life. 
How sad it would be to live a life, try to live a moral life in this world, folks, and when you die, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, as the one who died and paid for your sins, you'll be forever separated from God in agony. Forever. You might say, well, I don't think it's fair. You're right, it's not fair. It's a matter of truth and justice. That is what we deserve according to God. But neither is it fair that Jesus would come and die in our place when he didn't do anything wrong. But he did that for us. He paid for our sins and offers us as a gift everlasting life. You mean to say people can trust Christ and they can still sin and go to heaven? Yeah, that includes you. Now, God doesn't want us to sin, but the truth of it is, even after we're saved, we are going to sin. The sin, though, has been taken care of by the blood of Christ on Calvary. And when you trust Christ, he gives you everlasting life. So eternal life comes by salvation. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit comes to illumine us so that we can understand God's way. He seals us, okay, until the day of redemption. That's why once saved, you're always saved. But he also comes and he comes to live inside of us and he gives us spiritual vision to where we can understand the ways of God. So you can't fully grasp God's way without being a Christian, according to Scripture. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, that's the lost man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can, uh, can he know them because they are spiritually discern. In other words, you have to have a new birth. You have to have a new nature. You have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you to discern the truths of scripture, to really get a handle on what they're talking about. Okay. As a lost person, you can read them, but there's the vast majority of the Bible. You're not going to understand it. Once you're saved though, it's like God gives you special glasses, you might say, to where you can see that's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Also, when you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers us through the new nature so that we can live as he wants us to live. Now, remember, we're talking about marriage. Yes. We're talking about the home. Yes. But you see, friends, this is why it's so important to, to seek out, if you're going to get married, that you're looking for somebody who's saved and also dedicated to living for Jesus Christ. More about that in a few minutes. Because that person has the advantage. Now, they're not perfect. And listen, some Christians can be nasty people. But it isn't God's fault. If they're saved by the grace of God, they have a new nature. They have the Holy Spirit inside of them. They can understand the word of God. The Holy Spirit will empower them to do the right thing, to change and so forth. But it's up to them whether they want that in their life or not. See, to be the right husband or wife, you need to be saved and you need to be under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in that. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. This is all under salvation, okay? This is why you need to be saved. This may surprise some of you, but you'll understand what I'm saying. I've done a lot of premarital counseling, and I've also done marriage counseling. And the first thing I do, if a couple comes in and they're having problems, you know the first thing I want to find out? Not what the problem is. Nope. The first thing I want to find out is if they're saved. Because you know what? If you're trying to do this in the flesh, you've got all kinds of problems. You're trying to do something God never intended. God intended marriage, his ideal for marriage, 
is a saved man who's dedicated to Christ, a saved woman who's dedicated to Christ, and they want to do it God's way together. There's a much greater chance of success in that relationship than if it's not that way. So I want to start out with a couple. I want to start them out on the right foot. Ephesians 5.18, it says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled has the idea of be under the influence of or under control of, right? This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're going to say more about this starting next week, but I want you to understand something. The main passage on the roles and the responsibilities of marriage come after the verse we just read. And you know what? What we just read should come first because when people are right with the Lord, when believers are under the control of the Holy Spirit, they're going to do a much better job of fulfilling their responsibility in marriage. Much better job. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, if both believers are becoming more godly or more Christ-like, then they will have better harmony in their marriage. Now, in your notes today, I gave you a little illustration, okay? A, a little, um, don't get the wrong idea, okay? I've, I've, I've actually got this file and I've, entitled, I've, I've named it Love Triangle, okay? I understand what it means and you're going to understand what I'm talking about. It's not what you think. Let's look at this, okay? This is how, now, there's God. He should be at the top, by the way. When I say husband, I'm talking about Christian husband. When I say wife, I'm talking about Christian wife, okay? This is why you don't marry somebody who's an unbeliever. Now, if after you got saved, you're a believer and they're not, yeah, but we covered that, didn't we, a couple weeks ago in Corinthians, how to deal with that situation. But this is the way God wants it, okay? Let's say this is a saved husband. Now, let's say this husband is not saved. He's not even in the picture. You could erase that out. There is no way that this can take place if he's not a believer or she's not a believer. There's no way that can take place because they're not even in the family of God. But for believers, for those who are saved, all right, here's the husband, here's the wife. As that husband grows spiritually and walks with the Lord and he gets closer and closer to the Lord, okay? And as she does the same thing, if she does the same thing, in other words, they're both growing, they're both advancing, they're both maturing in their faith. As they get closer to the Lord, you notice what happens here. The distance between them gets less and less. See, as I become more Christ-like and as my wife becomes more Christ-like, we're both becoming like Christ. There's a much better chance we're going to have better harmony because we're going to be thinking the same way according to the values of Scripture. This is the way it's supposed to be. I take my responsibility seriously and I try to follow the biblical pattern by the grace of God. And as I grow closer to the Lord and as my wife grows closer to the Lord, the distance between us becomes less and less, okay? And there is more harmony, okay? This is a very simple concept. But I'll tell you what, once you get this in your mind, you never forget it. You'll see it even though you're not looking at it. So take this to heart, okay? So number one, there needs to be salvation. Number two, we need to have absolute faith and confidence in the word of God, okay? Turn with me to Psalm 119. 
absolute faith and confidence in the word of God. This is the verse that God so impressed on my mind last year, so many times during the year. seems like he gives me a verse like that once a year. There's one verse or passage that just seems to keep coming up in my mind. And this was the one from last year, and it's still such a powerful verse in my mind and hopefully in yours. We need to have absolute faith and confidence in the Word of God. Look at it with me. Psalm 119, verse 128. This is the mentality we are supposed to have as believers, okay? Therefore, I esteem, consider, all thy precepts. This is talking to God. Therefore, I consider all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Okay? Now that is a good definition, by the way, of biblical fundamentalism right there. That is the way we are supposed to think. Lord, whatever your word says, that is what is right. Regardless of how my flesh feels about it, regardless of what is going to happen to me, whatever, regardless of what has happened to me, I consider all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. And Lord, that doesn't just have to do with my marriage, that also has to do with my family, that also has to do with my workplace, it has to do with all relationships, has to do with all issues of life, values, priorities. What does God say should be the priorities in our lives? You know what? Find out what it says, and it's like, there it is. That's what it says. That's what I believe. I am going to, uh, by the grace of God, have my life conform to what God says is the way it should be for me. That should be the mindset of every born-again believer. Psalm 18. Turn there with me. Psalm 18. See, this does away with those pesky critters called yabbats. A yabbit. Have you ever encountered a yabbit? This, along with Psalm 119, 128, does away with yabbits, okay? Just pulverizes them. Psalm 18, verse 30 As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. I love that. Tried, tested. He is a buckler or a shield to all those that trust in him. God's way is perfect. Do you believe that? Well, yeah, but no, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a second. If you believe it, there's no yabbits about it. Our problem is, you know what? Oh yeah, I believe that. Until it rubs us the wrong way or challenges us in an area where we know, but we don't want to admit it, we're messed up. And then the yabbits appear. They come out of nowhere. Here's the point, folks. God's way is perfect. See, the Lord can transform your home and your marriage if you will be diligent with the principles he has given us. Our problem is not with what God says. Our problem is our flesh. Our problem is our old nature. Okay? Give Christ and the word of God a chance. You may be deeply struggling in your marriage today. I don't know. Maybe somebody's going to hear this message either the audio or watching it on YouTube or sermon audio or whatever. And friend, you may be deeply struggling with your marriage. I want you to know as long as Jesus Christ is alive, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. I didn't say it's going to be easy because you can have some deep set patterns that are wrong, but there is hope. It just is a matter of how serious we are with this. Your home will never be perfect because sinners live at your address. But please write this down. 
No marriage has to fail. Now, again, if you've had a failed marriage in the past, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, though, folks, in light of Scripture, what the Bible teaches, no marriage has to fail. Sometimes it's an issue of ignorance. Sometimes it's an issue of rebellion. Sometimes it's a combination of the two, though, why there is failure. The principles found in the Word of God will work if we work them. Number three. So what do we see? First, here, there needs to be salvation. Secondly, we need to have absolute faith and confidence in the Word of God. Absolute faith and confidence in the Word of God. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. I hate every false way. God's word is perfect. Absolute faith and confidence in it. Now, most people will never get past that. Most people stumble on that second one and they never advance. It's very sad, but that's what happens. But let's move on. Assuming we will take these things to heart. Number three, we need to submit ourselves to the will of God once and for all. This is a matter of choice. It's a commitment, okay? It's a dirty word today, the word commitment. No one wants to be committed to anything except that which seems to be perverse. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1, Paul writes, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, present your body as a believer, it's written to Christians, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, and their ways, by the way, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's that journey as a believer through this life. That's the growth, the Christian growth that should be there as we draw closer to the Lord. And he starts changing the way we think as believers, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, many Christian marriages and families don't work because the husband and wife will not pay the price. They're not willing to be sold out for Christ in this area. They're not willing to truly do it God's way. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. And by the way, no one's an exception to that. So where does this begin? This begins with obviously salvation, an absolute commitment to the word of God being the word of God, full confidence in it. But third, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice. It's us saying to the Lord this, folks, Lord, I surrender all. As a believer, this is not to be saved. This is as a Christian. Lord, I surrender myself to you. Lord, I give my life to you as a living sacrifice. I want it to be a vehicle to bring glory to God. And that would include not only your life in general, but your life as a parent, your life as a spouse, your life as whatever you do as an occupation, regardless of what it is. Lord, I want to manifest the character of Christ, and I want to bring glory to God with my life. And Lord, I am giving my life into your hands, and I want you to use me to the glory of God. When people see my life, Lord, and what you do through my life, I want you to get the glory. Now, if a husband and wife are serious about that, truly serious about that, that's got to make a positive impact on that relationship. It's got to. There's no getting around it. 
because you reap what you sow. And there's no getting around that. And number four, we need to have a lifelong commitment to the word of God, no matter how hard things may get. We need to have a lifelong commitment to the word of God, no matter how hard things can get. Now, why do I say that? Because that initial commitment of Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's a great thing and it ought to be there, folks. And why is that once and for all commitment so important? Because it gets us away from the idea of picking and choosing as things come along. See, that's the way most Christians live their lives and they don't know why they don't have success. We've had people who have been helped through our addictions program, and they've been helped, and it's amazing how they've been helped, and they've come to know Christ the Savior, and there's been a certain amount of growth. But then when, when it becomes difficult, and the Holy Spirit says, boy, you really need to change this area of your life. You really need to give up this wrong area of your life. All of a sudden, they put on the brakes. And guess what? You don't see them anymore. Why? Because of conviction. Now listen. They put on the brakes. You know what that tells me? There was never a point in their life when they said to the Lord and meant it, Lord, I surrender everything. I yield myself to you completely. Any area, I want it to be in submission to your word. They never got that way. Here's what they did. Oh, I like that one. I'll do that one. I like that one. I'll do that one. Oh, no, I don't think so. Folks, the Christian life is not a smorgasbord. You don't go down and say, well, yeah, I'll have some of that and I'll have some of that and I'll have some of that. Now you can do that, but it's not going to work. The Christian life's not going to work. We should have the mentality of, I give my life to you once and for all, Lord, whatever you want for me is what I want for me. And if you ever find yourself resisting it, that we fall down before God and say, God, I confess my sin, my rebellion to you, Lord, right now, I want to follow your word. That's why there needs to be a lifelong commitment to the word of God, no matter how hard things may get. Now, why do I say that no matter how hard things may get? Simply because of this, folks. Again, two sinners are coming together in marriage. And you know what? There will be conflict at times. There will be conflict. So what do you do? Do you abandon? Well, that's what the world says. Get out of it. You don't even be married at idiot, get out of it. Was that God's way? Get out of it? Is that God's plan? No. His plan is to go through it, fix it by the grace of God. Let God work a miracle where you have a testimony or the grace of God. See, these are not just words to hear, but they're words to live by. Commitment is the most important word today for marriage. Commitment. Now listen, I don't know if I'm, I've been reading a lot of uh, uh, information lately, just, just looking at some fresh things, some books, some books that I've had in my library that I haven't read, or I read, but I forgot what they said. And so I'm refreshing these things. And you know what is, is encouraging for me to find, because we've always believed this issue of commitment. Every single one of them talks about the foundation is, is, is commitment in that relationship. There's got to be a commitment there. See, if there's a commitment, what that does, it's not saying emotions aren't important, feelings aren't important. It's not saying that. What it's saying, though, is this. I made a promise. I took a vow. I took a vow when I got married. Till death do us part, rich or poor, sickness or in health, okay? All that. I took a vow. And the vow means something. 
People spend more time preparing for their wedding than they do for marriage. Isn't that true? We need to be committed because God's ways work, because God says we should be. It is till death do us part, okay? Joshua chapter 24, in verse 15, Joshua, and and this is not talking about marriage, but it is talking about the Christian life. And it says, and if it seem evil unto you, verse 15, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. You see, that's a matter of choice. Whether the gods which your father served, that don't work, by the way, that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. See, marriage is supposed to be a permanent thing, and that means commitment. All change begins with commitment. You have to decide. Hebrews 13, 4 says marriage is honorable in all. Let me ask you today four questions. The first one is this. Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you? You might say, oh, I'm saved. Well, that is, that is great. Secondly, Do you have absolute faith and confidence in the Word of God? Do you believe that the Bible has the answer to the struggles and the problems you are having? Do you believe that? And in the context of marriage, do you believe that? Do you believe God's way will give you the best you can have? Do you really believe that? If you do, third, will you submit yourself to the will of God once and for all? Will you commit your, surrender your life to this truth once and for all? You know, I'm I've heard this over the years. I'm so tired of hearing it. Well, I don't want to do that because I might fail and then I'm a hypocrite. Well, you're already a hypocrite because you're being dishonest about the issue. Let's be honest with you. You might say, well, that makes me mad. Go ahead and get mad. I don't even care. Go ahead and get mad, folks. This is so serious. Let's quit playing games with this. God says, do it. God says, commit. God says, dedicate, yield your life to him. Your life. That has more than just one little thing. It's everything. Yes, we will fail. Yes, we will fail at times. But that's not a reason to not do it, right? When you learn to ride a bike, the first time you got on it, did you just take off perfectly? Probably not. Now, maybe there's an exception here today. No, what happened? You got on, you went a little ways, you fell. What did you do? You just got up again, got on, went a little, maybe you fell again, okay? Took me four times on a bike that I shouldn't have been on. It was too big. But it was exciting being up that high, I can tell you that. Will you submit yourself to the will of God once and for all? And fourth, will you make a lifelong commitment or will you have a lifelong commitment to the word of God no matter how hard things may get? Okay? Things can go wrong. Things can go wrong. It's sad, but we're people. Okay? We're sinners. Are we committed or do we right away, if something goes wrong, we bail out? No, we're not believing what God says on it. And let me say, if you've never trusted Christ, would you do that this morning? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.